You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com, longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden as the Bucks. Somewhat as a relief for everyone, I think, wrap up the preseason, beating Minnesota 118-96. to Before we get to that, I will remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. And Frank, it's always good to take care of things down under. (laughs) (laughs) On behalf of all Americans who love to use the phrase down under to refer to Australia, thank you for giving us that, Kane, and we we appreciate that. I I hope we get a, uh, uh, at some point we get Fosters as a uh, a podcast. (laughs) sponsor and you can you can drop us some some fosters uh australian for beer uh line so that'll be great but uh but anyway enough about that uh yeah the Milwaukee bucks are uh five and oh undefeated in the preseason the first time since 1997 and yeah, that you know means precisely nothing in the grand scheme of winning a championship i guess but um you know we're just used to this team taking care of business and uh we saw it again tonight and Um, I think we were discussing just now um, probably the most interesting thing about what we saw, given this is the last preseason game. Um, Obviously we saw, you know, I would certainly not a, a, you know, a normal, you know, regular season game rotation perhaps, um, but close to it, you know, probably close to it in terms of the main guys getting a good amount of minutes. Uh, Nobody uh, hit 30 minutes. I think Giannis was at, uh, I think Giannis and Chris were in that like 26 to 28 range, I think something like that. Um, so they played a little bit more. Giannis was, you know, after a little bit of a slow start, kind of unstoppable as usual. Chris got into a great rhythm uh, with 18.7 assists, uh, really kind of, you know, staggering those two, I think is what's been interesting. But, um, you know, we've obviously been talking a lot about, all right, we know the starters, but who's going to be coming off that bench and kind of how are they going to mix and match, especially with Eric Bledsoe. Uh, at least for the moment, um, out. We'll see if he's back a week from now for the season opener. But um, I don't know what was anything surprising in terms of what we saw as far as rotations go tonight. Because certainly the wing and and guard rotation has been something that we've kind of speculated on a, a lot about. And tonight was probably our 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 best look at what what Mike Budenholzer is is thinking as the the regular season approaches. Yeah, I think it definitely this game or the interest for this game sort of. Uh, went up a few notches when we did see that Bud pregame, and uh, I think probably Eric and Matt both tweeted this that Bud sort of said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna be playing our starters, and it's gonna be somewhat of a of a dress rehearsal for next week." Obviously, it's you know up in the air whether Eric Bledsoe is going to play. So again, that could significantly change come next Thursday. But 
uh, that then automatically sort of drew uh, everyone's attention, I guess, to who was playing. And, and I think for the most part, it was more confirmation of what we thought rather than any type of great shock of, of the sort of minutes distribution through uh, the rotation. We spoke a lot about uh, the other day about Dante DiVincenzo, you know, potentially Sterling Brown and, and all these sort of wing guys. And I think if you look at the minutes there tonight, Dante plays 21. He was one of the first guys off the bench. Pat Connaughton plays just a, a touch under 20 minutes there. And then the other two guys we expect to play, Ursan and, and Robin Lopez, obviously, were one of the, the first guys off the bench. And then Sterling and DJ, who obviously DJ Wilson, it's notable that it was his first game as well playing. But uh, even with that, he plays 10 minutes. And given what we've seen from Bud, and you have to take into account what we saw last year with Ursan, and, and I just don't think Robin Lopez is a guy that is not going to play. I mean, he's going to play every night if available, you would think. So that does leave, as we suspected, Sterling and DJ perhaps on the outer a little bit there. But it does seem to want to play Kyle Korver. That's really no surprise to anyone. That will be matchup-based, certainly, for what he can do defensively as the season wears on. But to start, I think uh, probably more confirmation than, than any real uh, surprises. Perhaps it's notable that uh, Frank Mason didn't play at all. We spoke about him a little bit the other day as a guy that is probably capable. I mean, he's played quite a bit of NBA uh, minutes over over his career so far with, with Sacramento. But the fact that he didn't get on at all today was was possibly the most uh, sort of interesting thing that what, what we saw rotation-wise, I thought. Yeah, and I mean, the Bucks certainly, I mean, you know, it's a pretty common theme going back to, to throughout the Budenholzer era. You know, this is not a team that... that um, looks to run lots of like high pick and roll with their point guards. Um, maybe they do a little bit more of that with Bledsoe just because of, of what he can do offensively and, and the fact that obviously you want to give him opportunities to, to drive and score and, and make plays for others. But, uh, you know, with George Hill out there, with Dante DiVincenzo out there being the kind of two primary guys who were nominally the point guard, not a lot of actions that, you know, said, okay, we need to get our point guard doing point guardy stuff, right? Um, you know, Dante, to his credit, you know, six rebounds, five assists to go with his, I think he had six points. Um, again, didn't shoot well from three. Um, but uh, it was a pretty, st- it was a very kind of like typical Dante DiVincenzo game, I would say. You know, six yeah. points, three out of eight shooting, 0 for three from three. The six rebounds, five assists, two steals, um, a block, uh, three turnovers, plus seventeen in twenty-one minutes. So again, to the uh, you know the old Dante DiVincenzo doing stuff um, <laughs> kind of motto. Yeah, he did stuff. Uh, it didn't include making shots from th- from three. He kind of you know gunned up a few. I mean, again, he does not generally. You know, a lot of his threes are not wide open, and that continued tonight. Um, but you know, can he get you across half court? Can he? Uh, you know, pressure uh, defensively a little bit, get over screens. He's, he's, you know, he's getting there. I think, um, you know, athletically, I think you like what he can bring on, on both ends. Um, you know, as a cutter, just kind of a guy who kind of knows where to be on the court. Um, you know, we talked about that with, with him and Pat Connaughton as far as cutting and just, you know, having a sense of where to be on the court. And, and, you know, even if they're not guys who are necessarily doing a lot off the dribble, especially Pat, not doing a lot off the dribble, Dante, we know can do a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, if it's sort of just like a, 
guy out there who, you know, can bring the ball up and just make the first pass when you get past half court. Yeah, Dante can do that. <laughs> George Hill can certainly do that. Um, and I think what we saw tonight, you know, we saw a lot of Giannis initiating offense. Um, we saw a lot of Chris Middleton initiating offense with Giannis when Giannis was on the bench. And um, I imagine that's what we'll see, you know, but thematically throughout the season and especially with with Eric Bledsoe out just because obviously he's your your third guy who you trust to kind of create create offense especially with uh, with Malcolm Brogdon no longer around so um so yeah I think just to recap you know I think uh six six minute mark I think uh it was Dante and Pat coming in basically at the same time uh for uh I think it was Matthews and Hill I want to say um um and then uh you know basically we saw Robin and and Ursan as well uh, coming in and, you know, again, no surprise there, given those guys are, especially with DJ's injury are you know, the default options at, at backup center and, and backup power forward. And, uh, uh, Ursan's had a great preseason too. I mean, you have to give him a ton of credit. Um, hit three out of six tonight, two out of four threes, 10 points in 16 minutes, seven rebounds. Um, I, I checked before the game, I was just looking at kind of preseason stats and, uh, Giannis was leading the NBA in PER with like, like a 49 and a half <laughs> and uh, Ursan was third with like a 40 something. And uh, okay. He's, he's not going to uh, continue to make, you know, 68% of his threes or whatever he was hitting coming into this game. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, especially for guys who are on the kind of downslope of their careers, like obviously you love to see them come into camp and get fast starts and, you know, look like they uh, haven't lost a step. And certainly we, we can say that from our son and, um, you know, and Robin Lopez, I think also having a, a really nice game, hit a couple of late threes, which was obviously a lot of fun, um, but also had some moments where, uh, you know, he really kind of went at the smaller uh, wolves inside and, and was able to get some buckets inside too. So 14 points for him to go with five rebounds and a, and a block. So, um, so yeah, fun, fun night. And, and again, I think uh, we'll be interesting to see, you know, if this was the playoffs, you would certainly say, okay, maybe that's your nine man rotation, um, you know, with, with Bledsoe out. Uh, but certainly, you know, given what we've seen from Bud and this team and just the, the number of guys who probably deserve to play, uh, I, I would not be shocked if you saw Sterling Brown and Kyle Korver also playing most nights or, you know, maybe getting some, some more minutes than maybe even uh, like a Connaughton, right? I think DiVincenzo certainly as the nominal backup point guard is, is probably the most safe in terms of his minutes right now with, with blood. So out and, and maybe even moving forward, right. If he's can say, if they like him as, as a guy who can also play the one. Um, but again, I, at this point um, I'm going to guess that, that, you know, I, I, let's just say, if you told me, if you asked me, do I think that we're going to see 11 guys play on opening night against the Rockets? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that seems like a bud thing to do, <laughs> you know, yeah. just kind of run out all these guys and, you know, let, let everybody kind of see some, some floor, some of the floor. And uh, obviously we probably will not be talking about Dragon Bender, Thanasis Adetokounmpo, uh, <laughs> or, you know, Cam Reynolds uh, or Frank Mason very much moving forward. It seems like um, hopefully no injuries kind of force those guys to play. Um, but and all these other guys we're talking about, um, you know, they're all guys who I think can be NBA rotation players and, um, certainly, uh, you know, we know Bud uh, likes a lot of these guys, and I think we'd probably expect to see most of them on, on any given night. Yeah, that was sort of uh, a, a topic that I touched on with, with Justin Garcia yesterday was that the Bucks are in a pretty, well, a very unique situation, I would say, that they have 
and not to I don't want to I don't want to make Cam Reynolds feel left out here when I say this, but there's probably 16 guys that the Bucks have if you include Frank Mason that uh, would probably comfortably be on a on a high percentage uh, of NBA rotations, right? So uh, I, I think that Bud is going to go with at least 10 guys, 11. I mean, we saw this last year. There was oftentimes in the first quarter where the Bucks would go 10 deep. Uh, through the first 12 minutes and then he sort of tightened it up as as the game went on but uh, again he's been a coach that we've seen last season with the Bucks that he will ride a hot hand as well and he's he's not going to be shy about uh, playing Sterling Brown more minutes one night if he comes in and hits a couple of threes and maybe more importantly does some things defensively then Bud will, will be more likely to keep him in a game on any given night but uh, I think the first point you touched on yeah, the Bucks not really running a lot of traditional point guard actions on offense anyway. So I think the the big question is going to be defensively and are the Bucks and are Bud going to be comfortable with running Dante as a point guard defensively? Uh, I mean, because offensively, as you said, they have enough guys and a lot of the times they'll stagger uh, Giannis and, and Chris anyway. And through the second second quarter there where the Bucks were really struggling to shoot and it was about halfway through the second quarter where Chris Middleton uh, found the mismatch. I, I think it was on Napier, if, I, if I'm thinking that right. Uh, he got a couple of buckets in a row and then the Bucks really got rolling. But that lineup was with Dante, Sterling Brown, Middleton, and I think it was Ersan and maybe Robin Lopez was, was the fifth one there. So really no traditional ball handler or traditional point guard in that group. But the Bucks offensively were able to make that work with spacing, and uh, you still have your lead guy in in Chris Middleton that you can give the ball, and he can either get you a good shot, or you you can sort of funnel your offense through him anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that even with uh, Bledsoe hopefully playing next week, I think we can probably take away from tonight that certainly four stretches during the season you're going to see Dante and. This is not my <laughs> endorsement of point guard Dante, but this is uh, probably just the fact that we are going to see him as that in that nominal point guard position, I, I, I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah, and I mean, um, you know, again, I, I think we've seen him. I, I think he'll eventually be a, a, a very good defender. Um, I think we've seen him, you know, at times uh, the athleticism doesn't always translate. I mean, yeah, I think back to that first Portland game last year uh, in in Portland, where CJ McCollum just sort of you know abused him, put him on the floor once or twice. Um, and and again, it's not because he doesn't have good you know it's because he has bad defensive instincts or something like that. Um, but again, I mean, he was a rookie last year; he's kind of figuring this stuff out. And um, you know, you go against kind of premier ball handler score types; it's it's a challenge. And you know, we saw last year. I mean, Eric Bledsoe is is one of the uh, very best, if not the best, kind of uh, you know, point guard to throw out against a premium point guard. I mean, you know, the, the, the numbers, I think kind of spoke volumes last year, just how often the bucks, you know, went against those, those elite point guards, whether it was um, Lillard, uh, Curry, Harden, um, you know, the kind of list goes on guys just really struggled against Eric Bledsoe. And, you know, he finally kind of put it all together and, 
obviously that's a very high bar. <laughs> you know, Dante is not going to be um, as good defensively as, you know, the first team all defense guy. Um, and uh, actually my, uh, my old brew hoop commenter friend, old resorter pointed out uh, on Twitter to me the other day that, well, actually George Hill, actually, you know, if you look at the defensive RPM numbers, George Hill actually was second among all point guards last year in defensive yeah. RPM. He actually was better than, than Bledsoe even last year. So um, we know George Hill. I mean, historically, obviously he's got a very good defensive reputation and, no indication that that was slacking off last year. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, if it's Bledsoe and, and Hill or Bledsoe or, uh, Hill and DiVincenzo, yeah, there's a drop off there for sure defensively. Um, but again, like, can you get by with that? Especially if Dante is, you know, generally playing against second units rather than starters. Yeah. I think, I think for sure you can, you can get away with that. And, and again, knock on wood, hopefully this isn't something that, you're going to have to do very often in the regular season. Hopefully it's something you're maybe doing more to kind of experiment a little bit, or you're running Dante out there with, you know, those other guards, you know, one of those other guards who can handle the ball and, and that takes some of the pressure off Dante to, to do stuff. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it, it's funny. I, do you have a, I, I have a, if, if I was going to this, I kind of struggle with this. I always try to think like, who is Dante's like comp? And, cool. The guy that I always come to, and they're definitely not, it's not like they are that similar because Dante is much smaller than this guy. But in terms of a guy who can positively impact the game, kind of on both ends, um, can play some, do some like playmaking, even if he's not really a point guard. Um, and just has kind of like a, you know, like I, I refer to Dante as a, not an energy big, but an energy, energy little. Um, I don't know, just maybe like a poor man's Marcus Smart or something like that. Um, I, I, and, and again, I'm, I'm mainly thinking of it because I think he has a positive impact despite the fact that his shooting numbers are often like, you're just sort of like, wow, that guy probably shouldn't shoot. But it seems like he's having a positive impact on the team just with the way um, he defends, makes defensive plays, uh, and, and then just like kind of just plays smart basketball on the offensive end. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not... I hate using that comp because I, yeah. it's not like, I don't think like he patterns, like I don't think it, I wouldn't tell him like, Oh, go play like Marcus smart. Um, but I think just again, in terms of like those sort of combo guardish guys who can, you know, in, in, in Dante's case, hopefully he has this impact, right. You know, if he has a Marcus smart type impact, you'd be pretty thrilled because that's, <laughs> that's uh he's definitely, I'm, I mean, I'm a big smart fan. Um, but otherwise I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure if I can really think of a guy. And, and again, a lot of this probably comes down to, you know, I mean, if Dante shoots 35% from three, then you're feeling like way better about sort of his potential comps. If he shoots, you know, 30%, then, you know, you're you're not feeling so great about his comps. And, and hell, even 30% might be charitable given what he shot last year and, you know, what he shot this preseason. Yeah, I. that's kind of... I'm kind of thrown by that because I was trying to think of some names while you were talking and then I'm I'm kind of glad that you said Marcus Smart because my first thought when you say if you yeah you know, as a as a rough comfort for Dante you say Marcus Smart I would say well yeah I can certainly see why that name comes to mind but yeah probably defensively at this point Dante isn't there, which I'm not saying you're saying yeah. he is, but yeah, he's not strong enough. Yeah. He's, he's way, you know, he, I don't know how many, 
if Marcus Smart is 30 pounds or whatever. But, um, but yeah, the, Marcus, it's Marcus Smart upside. Let's say that would be the you know kind of the best case scenario probably if you know assuming his, his shooting never really comes around that much. Um, but but I, I, there is something there, right? And yeah. and obviously whenever you do comps, like the first question you ask is okay, like so don't fall into the trap of comparing a guy who's like bad with somebody who's good (laughs) (laughs) you know even if there's some stylistic similarities um but i I don't know i think dante will be a positive player um i think the question is like can you be like a really positive player or is he you know just going to be like a like seventh eighth man type quality guy right um and and i don't know I'm, i'm i'm not sure but i think he at least has a chance to be maybe a role-playing starter um or you know a, a a good bench player but i don't know i mean it's it fortunately his 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 physical you know tool set looks good right now and he does you know and again my biggest concern is that we were taught we would be talking about him sitting out preseason games because of his foot or you know looking slower or not being able to make you know the same types of plays on both ends at least that doesn't seem to be the case but but obviously now we can start to worry more about like okay well all right, now that you, you look kind of like what you're supposed to be, um, you know, hopefully you can uh, you can actually make a, a real positive impact too. Yeah, and I, I think he's one of those players that you have to have. If you've watched him every single night, you have this optimism from watching him play on a nightly basis and seeing that impact then that he can have. But I think if I really think like any comparison that you try to make, even if it is a reasonable one. And like I said, I can certainly see, you know, the Marcus Smart, you know, as a, as a, you know, if Dante, that's his upside comparison, I guess. But uh, if you haven't watched him and then you just watch him play a, a few games here or there, you'd probably be saying, well, he's not a very good shooter. He's right. not necessarily a great one-on-one defender. Uh, he's not exactly a great finisher. So it, it, that's why he's such an interesting player to me because he's got, he, he, as we always say, he does stuff and he impacts games positively. But right now, it, it, none of that has really come together. So I think you hope that those things sort of smooth out a little bit. And then you, I think you've really got to play. Like, I think like he, he was, he's very close to already being a guy that you're just like, yeah, this guy can play on a, on a really good team, like no problem at all. Um, but right now it's also just a little bit of hope that that happens rather than real confidence that, that this is going to figure that figure itself out. But again, at the same time, he's played 27 NBA games. So <laughs> just, just because the Bucks curve of success is where it is right now and they're ready to contend, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden Dante's going to skip all the developmental steps that he would normally take and become that guy right away. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. I mean, this is a guy who has, you know, only played a fraction of a season. I mean, basically he's played a third of one NBA season at this point due to all the injuries. Um, you know, didn't play in summer league last the, the, this past summer. Played like, what, a, 20 minutes or something like that total the previous year? I mean, we, we really have seen remarkably little of him. Um, and so I think, again, like, you know, I mean – I mean, look, look at DJ Wilson, right? We saw very little of him, basically not nothing from him as a rookie, pretty much just some G leagues time. And, you know, I was among those who were just like, what is it? I don't see what this guy, right? I, yeah. I mean, personally, I didn't see it from him uh, when he was drafted. Um, and, uh, you know, a year ago we were saying like, Oh geez, like, well, 
should they even be picking up his his third year option? And obviously, he came around and, and showed. I think that yes, he very much deserved to um, to to pick up his option, and and obviously, he could make a really positive impact. So I don't know. It, it's kind of tough. I, again, like I, I won't want to fall into the trap of like you know picking like kind of just just assuming a guy's going to hit his upside um, just because he's young because uh, we know that doesn't happen all the time. Um, and uh, but by the same token, I. I I do tend to feel pot like I do lean positive on Dante in terms of what I think his his impact can be, um, and uh, and again, I, not that that's necessarily uh, he's going to take win a starting job by the end of the year. That's not what I see from him. Um, but you know, I think it's it, it's also telling, right, that that a guy like Bud wanted to draft him was a big voice it, it, apparently in terms of getting him drafted, had the confidence to play him early last season as a rookie. And obviously seems confident in giving him a chance here early, uh, especially with Bledsoe out. So, um, you know, again, not that um, NBA fans, observers such as ourselves have always uh, trusted or bought into every uh, decision a coach makes <laughs> with regard yeah. to playing time. Um, I, I certainly was was not really a fan of the Dante pick when it happened. Um, but I'm, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of kind of the reasons for optimism, even with his shooting kind of struggles. So um, anyway, I think we've probably covered the Dante thing, but I do think if there was one guy who feels like a, you know, feels like he's been able to maybe carve out a, or, or, or break his way into the rotation who obviously was not in it last year at the end of the season due to injury. Um, you know, he's definitely seems like a guy who, who's, you know, I would call a winner, right? I mean, most of these other guys were in these spots last year, obviously. Urson was ahead of DJ in the playoffs in terms of the rotation. Um, Rolo obviously wasn't around, but no shock that, that he's the backup point guard. George Hill, obviously, was part of the rotation, very important guy. Um, and, you know, uh, Pat Connaughton, if he's the first guy off the bench, I, I think certainly the trust that we saw Bud have in him late last season and into the playoffs and especially what he did against uh, the Boston Celtics in that second round, probably not a, uh, an insignificant factor in him seemingly, uh, you know, having a, a maybe a, an early edge in terms of getting some rotation minutes. But, um, you know, you could say you, you can kind of construct narratives for pretty much everybody in, you know, every, all the guys who are like really in the discussion for rotation minutes, you can basically, I think, make up a reason why they should, you know, why we think they might break into that rotation eventually. Like they all have narratives you can kind of run with. Um, but it's just a matter of like, you know, what, what's really going to happen. And I imagine a lot of it's probably just going to come down to injuries. Right. I mean, you've got, if you've got 12, 13 guys that you think can play on any given night, at some point, some of these guys are going to get hurt. And again, you hope it doesn't happen, but some guys are going to get hurt and that's going to force guys to, to play minutes who maybe wouldn't play as much when, when teams are fully healthy. So, um, so I guess it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, there, there are practices between now and next Thursday. Um, so we probably shouldn't um, assume that nothing can change, but, but obviously, as you mentioned, but seemingly treating this like a dress rehearsal and, and obviously, uh, you know, I think that's helpful from an observer standpoint. Let's just maybe uh, draw some conclusions about what to expect in, in Houston next week. Yeah, and I do think that the the big reason why we've probably spent so much time uh, over the last month or whatever talking about Dante and, and these type of guys is because there really isn't a lot of storylines in terms of this Bucks team coming into opening night from the the simple fact that the starting lineup, I mean, 
you could try and come up with some sort of angle for, for someone else jumping into the starting lineup. Yeah, outside of you know, possibly George Hill for Bledsoe, but in terms of Wes Matthews. But really, I think we've been pretty sure that that was locked in and Wes is going to start. And I still think that's the case. Clearly, uh, he had some struggles with his shot. I don't have his full preseason numbers uh, in front of me, but 0 for 6 tonight from 3 for Matthews. He really hasn't shot the ball well at all, really, at any point during the preseason. So that will be something to watch because I I think clearly that is going to be a key requirement for that guy playing in that uh, extra starter spot, particularly, you know, we don't really have any read on what Bledsoe's shot is going to do. I mean, he shot it pretty well last regular season. It obviously completely fell off a cliff in the playoffs, but... uh, the Bucks really probably can't afford to have three questionable shooters in the starting lineup with Giannis. So that will be something to watch with Wes. But yeah, I, I just think that, as you said, you can you can make a case for a lot of these guys, but I think we still have a fair read on, on what is actually going to happen. But uh, we spoke about Giannis's dominance last time we spoke earlier in the week. I mentioned his per 36 numbers. He did finish the preseason in three games with the average in... 42 points, 18 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 blocks, 2 steals, 60% from the field and 37% from 3. So pretty comprehensive from him. But there was an interesting conversation that I wanted to bring up between Marcus and Jim on the broadcast. And Marcus was sort of discussing the correlation between 3-point shooting and free throw shooting. And I was just wondering what you thought about that. Basically, Marcus was saying that if you get your, you know, long story short, he was saying if your free throw percentage is up there, then, you know, you should, that should be able to translate and, and you will see an improvement from, from the outside. And I think with Giannis, I almost feel the opposite of that because I've always felt more comfortable about Giannis shooting threes when there's no hesitation at all, and he has zero time to think about it. He doesn't take a dribble. He just it just shoots the ball in rhythm. And we saw one uh, at the top tonight that looked great on a catch and shoot, which is something you know you would really like to see from him because those shots are going to be there. And then I think less than a minute later, there was a horrible air ball. <laughs> and uh, I, I think my, one of my biggest concerns with Giannis at the free throw line is I understand that he needs to have a routine and he wants to work through that routine so he's doing the same thing every single time he's at the line but how long he spends at the line I've always felt that he starts to think about it a little bit too much and I remember being in Toronto last year for those uh, for the Eastern Conference Finals games and being in that arena like I I almost could not watch Giannis shoot free throws with how loud it was getting and it was longer than 10 seconds let's be honest I mean it's like 11 12 seconds his routine at the line the crowd just got louder and louder and louder. And I just don't know how he can avoid, you know, that getting in his head. So uh, I sort of, it's an interesting conversation to have. But with Giannis, I always thought less time to think about it, the better result seems to be. Yeah, I mean, I think you've, if you look at very young players like college prospects, I think the the data is, is pretty has, has been pretty well established that that free throw percentage can often be a, a better you know sort of leading indicator of whether that guy will develop 
um, three-point range in the NBA once he gets there the versus uh, three-point shooting in college. And, and I think a lot of that just has to do with um, kind of just sample size too, just because, you know, college seasons are obviously shorter anyway. And, um, you know, I think you can find a lot of examples of players whose uh, three-point shooting kind of varied significantly. And not just guys who just, you know, got better year after year after year, but even guys who got better and then got way worse. Like, I always remember, like, Gordon Hayward, I think, was, like, um, over 40%, I think, is, is – um, did he come out after his sophomore year? And he, I think he might have been over 40% the year before he came out, and then he was, like, under 30% from three the year that he came out and, and was a lottery pick. And, you know, again, like a guy who I think was always a good free throw shooter um, generally has always been a pretty good shooter and maybe not an elite shooter, but um, you know, long story short, college three point percentage can be kind of noisy. And I think again, like three point NBA three point range. I mean, again, like the free throw line is the same at every level, right? Yeah. So um, it's kind of a constant, uh, there, there's, there's less sort of noise. It's not as dependent on, you know, whether you're a first option or second option, you know, every free throw is unguarded from the same distance, right? It's the one thing that is constant across every level of the sport, um, men's, women's, whatever. Um, so it's easy to compare over errors as well, the free throw line and, and how well the guys shoot. Um, so I think there's, well, I mean, again, yeah, I think there's, there's correlation. I mean, you do see guys who, are very good free throw shooters who just never really developed three point range. I mean, DeMar DeRozan is probably like kind of a, a classic example of that. A guy who, you know, has been a very good free throw shooter and just has never really translated any sort of consistency from three point range. Um, but yeah, for the most part, if the guy's a really good free throw shooter, then it's going to tend to eventually, you know, kind of I think manifest itself more in, in terms of three point range. Um, and I think especially now, just because I think in, in kind of the, the olden days, uh, you know, big guys, just many big guys just never shot threes, right? Like they yeah. were just sort of weren't allowed to do that. And and now I think everybody who can shoot or everybody who seems like they might be able to shoot is generally going to get a chance to do it. Um, so I think you get a better kind of window into to whether guys can do that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what, what the answer is, or, you know, exactly what the answer is to the question. I think there's absolutely correlation. I mean, you know, it's it's definitely difficult to find guys who are consistently good three point shooters who don't shoot really well from the free throw line. Yeah. Um, so I think that's certainly a correlation that that um, is very clear. Like you don't find, you know, typically a forty percent free throw shooter or forty percent three point shooter who's like you know a sixty five percent foul foul shooter. It's just typically not not very normal to see. Um, I know Lonzo Ball. Um, is the guy that, you know, I think there was a lot of discussion about that as far as wasn't a great free throw shooter in college, was a pr- very good three-point shooter percentage-wise, and he was over 40%, I want to say. Um, and then he gets to the pros, and he becomes an even worse free throw shooter and, you know, pretty mediocre from, from three as well. So I think there's a lot of correlation between those two. I mean, what that means for Giannis and his development, I, I I don't know, like, you know, it's not like just go work on your free throws and then you're going to become a good three-point shooter. <laughs> I don't think it's quite that simple because yeah. um, I think obviously you can work at both. Um, I think one thing that's interesting, um, I did read recently, so uh, former Bucks uh, director of research, Seth Partnow, uh, if you guys follow Seth, Seth has been pounding the pavement talking about uh, how great this book ranges um, by David Epstein, and I, I read it or I listened to it on on Audible uh, a few weeks ago, and it's it's a really interesting book. I mean, it's it's about um, basically the idea is 
um, well, it's kind of hard to sell because it's not just about sports. It's about kind of everything. But the idea is that specialization um, does not make, well, let me just say this, specialization does not lead to um, inherent, you know, sort of uh, increases in performance in whether it's sports or otherwise. Um, and uh, and so I, I think, you know, basic idea is like the more you can kind of cross train across either sports or, um, you know, academics, fields of expertise, things like that, it can help you make better decisions and things like that. And one thing they brought up was the idea that, um, and I forget who it was, but they were talking to somebody who was like a shot doctor and basically said, you know, Shaq, who obviously does not, did not like practice jump shooting very much. He practiced pretty much just free throws, right? And he never practiced shooting 12 foot shots or 18 foot shots. Um, but that by doing that, you develop basically like more sort of flexible motor skills and again i'm probably butchering sort of the explanation here a little bit but intuitively it can make sense like if you become better at all different types of shots then that's going to also manifest itself in something like free throw shooting which even though it's always the same and it's a super controlled environment um having more confidence in your touch generally is going to typically help you be better at, at shooting from that distance as well um so i mean i don't know and that's that's maybe a case for why you know, Giannis working on, you know, if he's practicing mid-range shots and, you know, different types of range shots, that that's a good thing, right? You don't want to just practice threes and free throws because I think there is value in practicing other stuff to kind of, again, build up confidence in your shot and your touch and things like that. So um, I don't think I've done anything to answer uh, your, <laughs> your question. Um, but one thing I'll say this, I don't think Giannis, I, I actually think Giannis, um, I don't, I don't actually think Giannis shooting catch and shoot threes is actually as important as shooting off the dribble. And I think his, his pull-up numbers were better than his spot up numbers last year, which was a, you know, a weird trend for mm. most of the Bucks best players, you know, even Middleton and Bledsoe had sort of strange years and that they were better, uh, shooting off the dribble than shooting spot up shots last year, which typically those guys have not been. Um, but I actually think given that Giannis, you know, when you think about like the way Giannis is defended, I mean, I'm less worried about Giannis standing in the corner or standing, you know, at three point line and, you know, just sitting there and, and waiting for a pet kick out to, to shoot a three. Um, I mean, yeah, I would love it if he can hit that shot, but I think the real, the real value is if, you know, he's top of the key wanting to attack somebody and, you know, Joel Embiid is basically just sagging to below the free throw yep. line and daring him to shoot three. So, um, it, it is weird how he seems like he wants to take that like one left-handed dribble to like get into his, like his, his rhythm, you know, like it's, it's almost like he wants to take a dribble to, to feel better rhythm and whatever, if that's what he needs, like that's fine. Cause ironically, you know, he's actually has the time to do that because guys, he's not going to be tended to guard to be guarded. You know, if Kyle Korver had to do that, uh, it'd be a problem because Kyle <laughs> Korver wouldn't be able to have the time to uh, load up uh, after a dribble. But, um, but I don't know. So, yeah. I mean, we could do probably a whole week of podcasts on Giannis' yeah. shooting quirks and all that. Um, but uh, again, I don't know. I mean, he did, I think he missed a couple of free throws tonight, but um, yeah, I think he finished what he was six out of 10 in the first game, five out of five in the second, seven out of nine tonight. Um, so that's what 11, 18, uh, 14, 24. So 18 out of 24. Um, so 75%, which is, you know, a little bit better than he was, um, last year, closer to his kind of previous, uh, career number. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, mean, I know the question has been asked. I think this was how Jim kind of introduced the question. Like, would you rather have him be able to shoot, you know, better free throws from the free throw line or better from three? Um, 
probably for my sanity better from the free throw line. <laughs> um, but I don't think there's necessarily like a, a direct kind of right answer because again, he shoots tons and tons of free throws. So, you know, if he shoots 5% better from the free throw line, that's half point because he shoots like what, 10 free throws a game. Um, if he shoots four threes a game and he shoots 5% better from three, that means, you know, 5% of four is, is 0.2. So multiply by three, that's 0.6. So they're about the same, right. In terms of like net point added value. Um, but you could also make the case that, well, if he's, you know, better from three, then that's going to open up other parts of his game too. So I don't know. That's my complete non-answer to you, Kane. No, it's, uh, I will say it was comprehensive, but, um, I, I think the, uh, I think you, I think at the end though, you touched on a, a point that is, is pretty important that regardless of whether he ever, and I think that he's shown enough signs now that you have some confidence that there's going to be a time and maybe it's this season. We saw an extended period at the end of last year where he was shooting over 30%. Maybe this season he's a 35% shooter from three. I mean, that's, I don't, when I sit here right now, like that wouldn't make me fall out of my chair or anything if someone said that was going to happen. I mean, he's committed to taking the shots. Uh, he's clearly been working on it. So, But the difference with the free throw shooting is though that regardless of what happens, Giannis is going to be at the free throw line probably getting at least 10 a night. So when you talk about what you prefer, then yeah, maybe the free throw percentage would be uh, more important to his own personal success, certainly in the playoffs when he's going to be living at the line. But just as you were talking, you, you mentioned earlier about the, the, the correlation and, and actual numbers for that. And I was like, okay, let's, let's see. And it, and it really proves your point. Uh, I, I just went to basketball reference and I looked up for last season players that shot under 70% from the free throw line and over 35% from the three three point line with at least 250 three point attempts. So I mean it's not the it's not the the biggest sample size but 250 attempts is a somewhat significant enough number to say okay this is pretty rare and there was only four players that came up there there's PJ Tucker, Justice Winslow, Mark Scott and Dion Waiters. So who by the way I didn't even know Dion Waiters played enough to get up 250 three point attempts last year yeah. but I'm somewhat not surprised. <laughs> There was, there was, uh, there shots are always being taken from Waiters Island, whether he's <laughs> too fat and out of shape to even be on the active roster or, or not. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. Cause I always think of him as like basically missing most of the season, but I yeah. guess he came back and, and played a decent number, a uh, decent number of games. Let me ask you this. So, um, we did get asked, uh, um, about whether we would do an over podcast. I need to talk to, to Eric. Cause I mean, you know, I feel like that was my baby with Eric name. So I don't, I don't know if, if um, you know, I can, I can, we can do that. I will have to ask his permission if we can do an over under podcast. Um, although we, I think we kind of stole that from uh, Jeremy Schmidt and, and the basketball guys back in the day. I feel like they did one before we did. Um, but so let me, let's, let's tease this. I want to put you on the spot. Giannis is over under for three point percentage this year. Where would you, where would you, what's your, what's your gut? Where would you put that? Uh, so when I think about that, I'm like, what's, what am I comfortable? What would I sit here and feel pretty comfortable with going over? Right. So, uh, what would I feel comfortable? I, I feel like the number is 33, 34, probably 33. I feel like 34, just as I said, 33, 34, I think as 
the 34 was coming out of my mouth, I already started to feel a little bit of anxiety about that number. So I think 33, I think seems right. I mean, I think he's going to get at least, yeah, I think he's going to get over three attempts per game. I mean, it seems like he's not going to be shy and he's going to jack them up. So yeah, I think somewhere around 3.5 to four attempts per game at around, uh, I would set it at 33. I think I would feel okay. And again, like nothing would shock me, but uh, I I think I'm seeing enough that he's going to have nights where he's going to shoot three for four, and then he's going to have nights where he's 0 for five. Um, but uh, I think it's some it's going to fall somewhere uh, in that in that area. Yeah, I think, and I think the over, I think in the playoffs he shot somewhere around 33% on four threes attempted per game, I think, in the playoffs. Uh, and then I think, um, I, you know, again, he, he got a lot better as the season wore on last year. And I think he was somewhere in that 33% range after he had that really terrible, like, it was like again, like a five for 50 start or something like that. Uh, but I mean, this is the hard part, right? Is, you know, you can't, I'm always wary, especially with a guy like Giannis, of cherry picking and taking out the bad, the bad stretch um, because, yeah. well, he's not a good three point shooter. So yeah, he's going to have, he's going to have bad stretches. Um, but yeah, I think there is, let's say this, my, my first thought was like, ah, oh, maybe it's like 32, 33%. But then I kind of started thinking like, eh, I feel like that's the upside. Like I, yeah. I, I, I just don't feel like he's going to shoot really like solidly mid thirties. Like I just don't, I just don't see that. I think, you know, we've seen it, even in this preseason, we saw it in the FIBA World Cup. Like, I mean, it's not like he's, you know, I don't think there's like some big change in his in his stroke, and he's finally like smoothed out like kind of those like moments of hesitation and things like that. I still think he sometimes thinks about it a little bit too much, and he still sometimes like badly misses. And you alluded to the one tonight. It was after he got really frustrated with some officials' yeah, calls, was, yep. and he was just basically like, "Screw it, I'm going to shoot a three. Um, and uh, he just airballed it um, from his kind of his spot right on that, like left wing kind of pull up, like, which is normally like kind of the way he, he tends to, to actually hit them. But, um, but yeah, I, I think maybe 30, 33%. Again, I don't think that's crazy. Um, I think that's definitely sort of in the kind of optimist. I would say it's like slightly optimistic. Let me say that. Um, I would say if I was to pick an, an over under, so, you know, a number that is, is, you know, equally likely to be over or under it, um, I would probably go to, I'd, I'd have to go like 30% probably, which, you know, let's be honest, like since, um, ever since his rookie, you know, with the exception of his rookie year, you know, he had one year where he shot 30% exactly. And then that's, that's like his best, his best shooting season. Right. So, um, so I don't know, I'm I'll be, call me a pessimist. I'll say the over under still 30%, but, um, if you told me 30% and then put the, the, locked on bucks official uh firearm to my head um (laughs) i would say um i would say uh yeah i would at that point i'd probably take the over um but again i think i mean and here's the thing too like i i think a lot of times like people who are especially commentators like they make it seem like you know he's gonna quote unquote add a three which nobody really necessarily says like what that means but okay let's say he becomes a 35% 35% three point shooter. Well, he's still probably going to be shooting those mainly like wide open, right? Like, yeah. and are, are teams going to like, you know, want to stop his three point shot and, and give up his drive at that point? Of course not. Right. Like he's always going to be better off 
taking a two point or sorry, taking a three point shot than a two point shot. You know what I mean? The guy dude shoots what 60, 60 some percent from, from two, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's pretty much impossible for a three to be worth, you know, his three point shot to have a higher expected value than his twos. Um, and so it's, it's just really hard, you know, for him to, again, it's, it's more just that change of pace type thing. Um, and so I, again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not stressed about it. Um, he's so dominant in it, you know, every other sort of scoring aspect. Um, so I guess we'll just sort of see. We did see him. Um, he had a mid-ranger tonight other than the one three he hit. Uh, he did pull the trigger on a couple other jump shots. He took another kind of from the left block, like a turnaround to his right, uh, shooting another fadeaway, which he hit one of those. Uh, I think it was in Dallas. Um, missed this one. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'd still... I still, whenever I see that, I'm just like, how about you kind of go middle and shoot like a short hook shot, which yeah. still is the shot that I always talk about, like being the, Hey, shouldn't that be a really easy shot for him to add? Like just a little like short hook push shot, um, given how few guys are going to be able to really challenge that. But that doesn't seem to be in the cards either. Yeah. The, the, I sort of, it frustrates me every time I see Giannis take any type of, turn around fade away it just seems like for someone that struggles shooting an open jump shot it just seems like yeah yeah, like why are you even trying to make your life difficult and take this shot and also you know with how dominant he is it just seems completely unnecessary that he has to go to that length to to get a shot off anyway but yeah last last year probably just the the final thing i guess on on the three-point shooting uh Last year, he was 25.6% from three. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think the the 30 mark that you said is very reasonable. Uh, before the new year, so through October, November, December last year, Giannis was 12 for 78, uh, 15%, 15% from three. So in some way, it's almost remarkable that he was able to get it back up to 26% yeah. after digging himself that kind of hole. And then the season before... He actually was over 30%, only 1.8 attempts per game, though. So it's kind of not a, a, a bit of a noisy number there. But from that point of view, yeah, I think that the 30 mark is actually reasonable. And the only thing I will say with the outside commentary, which again, I mean, it's this, I don't know how much time anyone should even spend uh, mentioning that. But when people talk about Giannis and, and getting the shot and the fact that he can't shoot, I mean, compared to some other players, potentially from the country I live in uh, with, with their shooting. I mean, even where Giannis is, and we're having this discussion, Giannis is still years ahead of my fellow countrymen uh, from the Eastern Conference rival, 76ers. By the way, I, I find it really annoying that um, I, I saw like a, oh, I forget where it was. Somebody, somebody put together like a stories of the preseason type thing. And one of the like, you know, bullet point, one of the, 10 stories like that was hey ben simmons hit a three-pointer and it's like yeah he hit one three against (laughs) chinese team and then he played i think two or three more games and i don't think he took he didn't even attempt a three in those games like you're telling me he's not even going to practice these threes he's you're saying he's not going to practice threes at all in the preseason when it doesn't count and then he's like when the regular season starts he's gonna start shooting i'm like i don't know i I mean, again, is he going to make a three this year? Like, well, 
probably and probably he'll make a three i don't know i mean <laughs> at some point he'll make a three-pointer but uh it's just i don't know it i'm i'm let's just say this i am not um i'm not buying stock in the ben simmons <laughs> three-point shot um and and again like i don't i don't think he needs to shoot threes for the sixers to be a title contender if they have a lot of good players um but certainly like when you think about uh him personally and and can he like really take a big leap for for Ben Simmons I think it's really important um you know he would have to just dramatically improve to uh to kind of make teams defend them differently um but again who knows right like again if if he shoots 25 percent from threes or even 30 percent from three on some small volume I don't I don't think that necessarily really matters and um you know you can look at Giannis right I mean he he does attempt a decent number of threes and has at times made, you know, a, well, 25% is terrible, but, you know, for certainly <laughs> long stretches, he's made a semi-respectable, you know, amount of them. And that hasn't changed the way defenses play him. No, not at all. And maybe, you know, 25% for three is the mark of an MVP. We had Russell Westbrook <laughs> is in, in a similar, similar sort of ballpark there. So maybe that's all you need. But uh, I do agree. If you, if I quickly had to give an over and under for Ben Simmons made threes, if the over and under was 10, I still think I'd take the under and feel pretty good about it uh, yeah. based, on, based on what I've seen and totally ignoring uh, some pretty sweet summer mixtapes uh, his people got out there. That was uh, <laughs> some pretty good marketing for um, Ben Simmons. But I don't know. I think, I think we've unpacked this one pretty well. Have you got any final preseason thoughts before I think next week we probably can, can push that yeah, uh, I, into, into yeah. the past? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll have a little bit more discussion if we if we missed anything, we'll cover it next week. But um, Kane, you're you're clearly, with the exception of uh, the audio challenges in the uh, in the last podcast, that was your, you know, rookie rookie move, uh, having our <laughs> our audio levels too low. So apologies to anyone who was deafened by uh, when the ads came on. Um, I was one of the people that was deafened by the ads coming on. So um, so yeah, Kane, that was your, you know, carrying the, the, you know, having to go buy donuts for, uh, for the veterans. Although I still haven't seen any donuts out of that, but, um, but, uh, hopefully, hopefully the audio levels on, on this pod have been better. Uh, and you are carrying on in the true, uh, Eric name, Frank bad locked on bucks tradition. Cause we're, you know, going an hour on, uh, you know, a preseason game. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I don't know. Again, our, our listeners seem fairly tolerant of that, but, uh, to those who uh, are still listening, thank you. We, we love you. We appreciate you. And uh, we will certainly have, have some more forward-looking content for uh, looking ahead to the virus season next week. Yeah, and you, you touched on – I'm glad you mentioned donuts uh, because I was <laughs> going to have a disclaimer that this podcast is not responsible for any windscreens that were shattered by the locked-on ads that came on in the first episode. <laughs> Because I know Frank, I woke up to a, a text from Frank saying that he was nearly permanently, nearly had permanent uh, hearing damage from the first podcast. So, yeah, I'm with Frank with that. Apologies for that. But like I said, this is a work in progress. But one last time, this podcast today was brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below the belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code locked on at manscaped.com. I threw in a little down under joke for Frank uh, earlier. It was uh, it was good to start with a laugh, but we will be back on Monday for the 
season opening. It's a season opening week. The preseason felt like it went for a long time there. But for myself and Frank Madden, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.